You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Welcome, Welcome to, to all Saturday. the things. It is Saturday. Saturday in quarantine. It is. So it's really just another day. It's really just it's the this only, day. It's the only day now that we put makeup on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Get out of pajamas. I don't know what we're doing. Yes. Quarantine. I asked Emily this morning what quarantine day number we're on. Do you know? 42. 46. What? Oh. 46. According to Emily. Oh. They, uh, she, Emily's tally marks on the wall. She says it's 46. Well, it feels like 792, (laughs) but I'll keep my opinion to myself. We didn't tell you who we are in case you've never seen us for the first time. I am Monique Dusan. I'm Krista Bontrager. And this is All The Things Show, where we talk about all things culturally relevant from a historically Christian perspective. Yes. We also have Bob the Button Pusher. I don't know. Can you push a button and let let us see? There he is. There he is. There he is. It's our favorite guy. Yes. Oh, so. yes. And please help us uh, if you want to support this ministry by clicking on that share button to share the show, share the show, share the show. Yes. That is the best way. Like us, share it, follow us. Insta, Comment. Um, we're not on Twitter. No. I'm on Twitter. The Ramonique D. <laughs> Selfless, shameless plug. If we're blessed, you might make a tweet. Yeah, literally, folks. Twitter's <laughs> a dangerous world. It is. It'll, it is. It'll harm your soul. Yeah. Uh, and you, you can, can follow, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Google Play. Yeah. We're there, people. We are there. We are. We're even yes. places I don't know about. Like, I Googled us recently. I was like, oh, we're on this podcast stream. I wonder how that happened. Yeah. You know what? I didn't tell you this before um, I sat down, but someone reached out to me today and was like, I'm a professor at a university and he um, heard my interview with Carol Swain. Oh. And he was wondering what my thoughts are about the tie between critical race theory and human trafficking. Oh. And I was like, whoa, I don't even know that I have thoughts about that, but now I do. So that might be coming out in a video soon. Yes. I'd yes, love to hear that. I, can, I was like, whoa, whoa. And if you're watching, hey. People are finding us. That's a good thing. So help us out by clicking on that share button. Like, comment, follow, subscribe. All of those things help our analytics and help people find us. So very important to interact with the show if you want to keep us coming your way. And we want to. I encourage you to go to YouTube and interact with us on the chat box. You can do that uh, through the My Theology Mom uh, channel. And we want to say hi to our friends Tracy and Allison checking in. Oh, our loyal follower, Laura Hartley. She's watching us from Wiley, Texas. Did you see that um, article about the, the principal in Wiley? No. So there's this principal in Wiley, and he literally drove like 800 miles um, not in one way, but I guess like around their community, it totaled 800 miles to be able to like talk to the graduating seniors since they oh. won't have like a graduation. I was like, oh, oh. And then I was wondering if um, Laura's daughter was a part of that high school community. She's not graduating. Yeah, that's, that is the principal. That, well, yeah. I was like, oh, look at that. Uh, that was precious. That's some quality education. Hi, Nancy. Nancy's checking in. Our friend Cynthia Hampton is checking in. That's great to see everyone. So tell us that you're you're watching the show, and we look forward to some interaction tonight on the show that I've entitled This 
And that. This is going to be like the, the show that is like a shepherd's pie. You can just kind of throw things in it and something good will come out. So, Hopefully. yes. God willing. It will be. It will be. If you missed last week's show, um, you missed a wonderful interview with our new friend, Samuel Say. I'd love to have him back on the show sometime. We talked about the question of uh, abortion and why is it an essential service, but also touched on issues related to critical race theory and abortion rates in the black community. Yes. And we came to the conclusion that abortion is not an essential service, but that those who define the word essential need a new dictionary. (laughs) Yes. But we can't go to church. Mm -mm. We still in California. I drove by Home Depot. Yeah. And the parking lot was full. Like there was not one spot left. And I was like, the devil is a lie. I can go and do a home remodel, but I can't go worship. I can go and buy lumber. Who wants lumber and tools? <laughs> I, w- I was completely confused. Completely. But here we are on day 46 of the quarantine. Yep. And yep. Yep. Still waiting to be able to gather and go yeah. to church. So uh, what else is happening with you right now? You went back to work. Went back to work. Yeah, I think I said that last week. I went yeah. back to work. Um, gosh, Numbers are still Hi. out of control. Last night, um, we did a service in a more lower um, socioeconomic income area. And so when you say a service, you work at a food pantry. Yeah, I, do, I work do. at a food pantry. Yeah. Um, and so we give rather good sized portions of food. Um, we partner with different um, like vendors stores, restaurants, and things like that. And um, we also partner with the Los Angeles Regional Food Bank. And so we give out food parcels to families. We served 215 families last night. I could not believe it. We normally start from at four and go four to seven. Yesterday, we decided to, start to, we decided to start at three, went from three to seven, oh and still had to turn people away because I couldn't keep, we're all volunteer run. I couldn't keep the volunteers there past seven. It was so bad. It was... It was sad. Yeah. It was sad to have to turn people away. Um, so go and, watch our but interview yeah, from a so couple much. weeks ago with our friend Brian Crane. Brian Crane. We talked about homelessness and some of the ideas of practical ideas of what people can do during this time. Find the local food pantry in your area. Make some donations. Find out what they need first. Yeah. What kind of donations they need. Because like right now well, you guys aren't accepting closed donations. No. But you and need food. No one is accepting closed donations yeah. right now. It's just one of those things like. You know, what are the essentials? Yeah. Um, and the true definition of essential. And so we are only accepting clothing and making sure that we are not clothing. I'm sorry. We're only accepting food and making sure that that food is really getting out money. to the people. Yeah. Yes. Food and money. That's exactly how you can donate. Um, just in case you're wondering what would be some good things to donate. Peanut butter is always a good thing to donate. Very high in protein. And you can give it out to homeless individuals. Mac, mac, and, cheese mac and cheese is always a good thing to donate. Those cup of um, soups where it's cup of soups and things cup. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or um, pop can meals, especially if you're giving to uh, a shelter or a pantry that um, specifically works with homeless individuals, pop can meals, or go to the like 99 cent store, the Dollar Tree, Dollar General, and get plastic cutlery because mm. a lot of pantries will have um, will have the the pop cans, but then people are having to use their fingers and all of that. And they might not have a place to wash their fingers. They can you know put those in like a paper towel or something like that and give that with. The pop can yeah. meal. So. so 
It's a really practical way to do something for your community. You know, we just got Love a really, your neighbor people. We just got a really cool share from my friend Diane Frame. So thanks, she, Diane. She lives in Wyoming. She's from West Covina here, my hometown. Wow. Okay. And she's the person who led me to the Lord when I was 15 years old. Oh wow! Oh, Diane. So Look she at that. just shared our show. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it is. That's so cool. Thank you, Diane. Uh, she's a wonderful and talented musician. I shared a video of hers um, a couple weeks ago on my on my uh, public channel. Our friend Susanna is checking in. She also recommends almond butter for a food pantry donation. Yes. Something a little different than peanut butter. So, all right. So let's get into it here and to our hodgepodge of takes on things. And people can watch me implode tonight as I take a very unpopular take on something in a few minutes. It's okay. <laughs> um Let's see. Okay, so let's talk about first. Let's talk about this tweet this week by Jackie Hill Perry. Uh, maybe before we get Is into this the tweet of the week. No. Nope. Um, maybe before we look at the tweet, we should say talk about who Jackie Hill Perry is. You're gonna have to do that because I just really found out about her. Like, uh -uh. like yeah. yeah, really, yeah. You know enough to talk about who she is. She wrote the... Okay, so she's an... Um, she's a popular conference speaker. Mm -hmm. She's doing the whole Christian conference circuit. Yes, but she's popular because she once was homosexual, came out of that lifestyle, heterosexual, married, three kids. She's actually pregnant right now. She's and, got a book um, out. She has a book out, best-selling book called Good Gay Girl, Good God. Yeah. I believe I haven't read it. I believe it's her journey out of homosexuality. Yeah. What the Lord did to, to take her from there. But people might be seeing her on the conference speaking tour. She's doing a lot of conferences. She is uh, also like some kind of rap artist or something. Never knew. Word spoken word. So, artist. Oh, I think she does spoken word. Yeah, yes. Something I, to she to might be effect. with um, PC4M, some poetry for Christ ministries. Oh, okay. I didn't I even know there, she, there was yeah. such a thing like that. I love spoken words. So, okay. yes, I think she was with um, PC4M for a while. So here's her tweet. And I'm wondering if maybe we can just talk about this a little bit and help you have you help me understand what's happening here. It's always interesting to me, but not shocking that many of the Christians that follow me, white evangelicals to be specific, I'm glad she's clear, love and affirm my courage and biblical integrity when it comes to my position on sexuality. But as soon as I mentioned Trump, race, and politics, eh. Yeah. Yeah. So scroll down a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm going to get to Ali Beth Stuckey in just a minute. Go, go back up to the tweet. All right. So as you can see, this, this tweet got, you know, some good action. It got 5,000 likes. Um, so what is she saying here? Help me understand what her position is. I think I don't I think her position is quite clear that she's wondering or questioning um, or maybe not even questioning. Maybe she already feels like she understands. Um, but just putting it out there that a lot of white evangelicals who follow her are, I think, impressed by her stand on sexuality, but not so impressed on her political ideals. And so they tend to come down on her. The same person would come down on her because of her dislike for Trump, but would congratulate her or support her for her sexual stance. So what exactly do you think her political or race positions are that she that she thinks that white evangelicals well, she's been she's with. been open about um, her issues with Trump. She's been open about 
um, things like white oppression or white fragility, white supremacy, I believe. So would you say um, maybe so, she's like critical theory sympathetic? I think she may be. Again, I don't know a ton about her. Yeah. I do think that she possibly is sympathetic towards CRT. I don't know if she's like all the way in. Um, but from a few things I've seen, and like I said, I, I just found out about who she is probably in the last year, year and a half. Um, she doesn't really have the greatest of likes for President Trump. And she's she's vocal about that. But I also think she's vocal about a lot of things. So for her, it's like, why are you like rooting me on over here? But then as soon as I come over here and say something, you want to like pause the brakes and you don't have nothing to say. It's like, can you not accept all of me where I am? But it's it's just more of like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll root for you and cheer you on over here. But as soon as you come over here, then no. And, you know, I kind of feel like I understand where she's coming from. It's like, well, can we just be friends? Like, can't. And I'm not sure, I guess, what people have said, but I guess I imagine that the same people are like, yes, yes, yes. Yay for you. And then shunning her or talking bad about her when she posts something else. So the Twitter, the crazy Twitter universe aside and how caustic and crazy some people's comments can be on there. Like, help me understand though, because to me, it's just natural that some people are going to agree with me on some issues. Other people are going to disagree with me on other issues. I mean, should we just talk about the rapture? Like people will <laughs> be writing to me about how much they disagree with me, but, but that's okay. Like I'm okay with that. It, it's just a reality. So why would she think that people would agree with her on every issue? I'm not sure. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not sure why there's a need for like complete agreement because I think People are free to disagree or to agree accordingly. There's a lot of things that we don't agree about or, sure. you know, that just whatever. But there are a lot of things that we do agree about. And we can talk about both of those things and move forward from that place. To me, I was and I think maybe you brought it up, um, the idea of maybe feeling like her voice is being used. Well, that's what I was hoping you would bring up is, you know, is that. Part well, of it. I was going to bring it up, but I kind of forgot about how, how, how <laughs> we, we had were this talking whole conversation. about it. We had the segment kind of planned and yeah. I'm wait, I'm giving her the cues, but she's not. <laughs> Look folks, I'm only human. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Um, so go ahead. Set that up for me. <laughs> so what, what do you see is, is happening here? Like, why would she expect people to agree with her on every issue? That was the setup I was coming up with. Yeah, no. Not no, that that's one. not that setup? Not that All one. Right. Not that one. Not that one. The use her voice, that one. All right, use her voice. Yeah. Well, do you think that for- See, take two. <laughs> so do you think that at all, because she is often platformed at white, predominantly white evangelical conference venues, churches, um, do you think that, because I've seen this- a little bit of this dynamic with you too, where Ooh. white people can have a tendency to want to use your voice mm -hmm. as a cover story for their own kind of issues. And they, I don't know how to say, I don't need to say it tactfully, but, but there are some 
situations that you and I have been in where I'm like, I'm kind of picking up on a vibe here that maybe they want to use you because of your race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I don't disagree that that could possibly be happening. I guess what I what I also make up is that she's invited to conferences and is told you need to talk on this and don't talk on that. Uh Like Uh they want her for this, but not for the other thing. And she's a whole person. Got it. Now, does that mean that you can't disagree with her? No. But at some point, is it using her just to to bring her in for, you know, this one thing? I don't know. I don't I don't know that, you know, you being an expert in something like, I don't know, creation you know, you being an expert in creation, but we disagree on the rapture that I couldn't have you come in and talk about creation because mm-hmm. you're an expert in creation. Yeah. We disagree on the rapture. Don't talk about the rapture. I didn't ask you to talk about the rapture. But I've been in those you know? situations where I've had to go speak somewhere and they tell me ahead of time, you can speak on this. Do not speak on this. And if a question comes up, I just defer to the pastor or whoever's uh-huh. in charge of the event, you know, like, hey, that's a great question. Read the fine print of this bulletin, please. <laughs> it says don't talk about that. Yeah, well, it, but it, it does happen. And you, and when you're a guest speaker at a venue, sometimes if you're doing an open Q&A, especially people will bring up topics that you're like, oh, this is kind of controversial. I don't know how the pastor feels about this. I'm just going to defer to. Um, and sometimes I'll handle it by saying, well, in your denomination, this mm-hmm. is how they would answer yes. that question. Now, what I think she could be hinting at is the fact that as a black woman, people will invite her to speak places because of her position, because of in addition to her views on homosexuality, she's also black. So then you got the inter- like intercultural, helps, interracial thing. It helps your diversity. Yes, portion. Yes. yes. You know, and so at that point, it's like, well, are you using me? for my skin tone. And that's kind of what you were talking about, having someone um, approach us about something. And it's like, well, mm, actually, you really only want her because of this. Like, she speaks out against CRT, which a lot of Black people don't do, one. And two, she's Black. So, you know, but what else? Yeah. You know, and if that's the case, just say that. Like, you know, we really want you because you're Black. Just say it. So there was a couple of responses here. If we could go back to the tweet and scroll down to Allie Beth Stuckey really quick. She's a popular podcaster and she's white. She's a millennial. She's probably in her early 30s. I think she has a huge following. She says, is expressing disagreement with your politics the same as asking you to shuck and jive? Oh, she says shuck and jive. Well, because it's in the tweet. And I don't know where that part of it's it went. It's in what tweet? I know. I Maybe go back. See, because that to now, see, go, now go I feel like show, I'm missing. Go I'm to missing show this pieces. thread. Okay. You can scroll down. See, there was there was more. I, I, the, lo- I, the, I love your testimony, but I'm disappointed comments come out. It's been clear to me that they will buy your books, retweet your stuff and praise you until the sun turns blue as long as you stay within their prescribed narrative. But my legs ain't made for shucking and jiving. Okay, so you only told me about part of the tweet. Well, now I that's understand. That's what I was looking for yes. when I had him scroll down before. Now I understand. Now I understand. So yeah, she is basically saying like, white people will praise you and love you until you tell them the truth. About race. 
about race, about politics, about oppression, about whatever. Yeah. Or at least her opinion about the truth. Well, I don't know. That's, I mean, yes, you would say that, but in a critical theory kind of way. Exactly. Then it's redefined. Yeah. So, yes, right. that's what she's saying. My legs ain't made. My, my legs, like, her stand is that I'm not here to lie to you. I'm not here to shuck and jive. I'm not here for your entertainment. I'm here to bring the truth. I'm going to speak truth to power. Yes. All right. So go back on that. Go go on that little arrow there, Bob. On the arrow, yeah. And then go scroll, scroll down to Allie Beth. There we go. Is expressing disagreement with your politics the same as asking you to shuck and jive? I think that's a sincere question. Now I understand. Does I thought she was just coming out of nowhere. the people to who agree with your politics but disagree with your stance on sexuality? And then she invites her on her podcast. Allie Beth, invite us on your podcast. We would, love, we would love to be on your podcast. Uh, so that's Allie Beth Stuckey's um, take. Let's go over to Sam Say, who was the... Our guest last week, he mm-hmm. also had a, a take uh, that I sent to Bob. Here's Sam's take on Jackie Hill Perry's tweet. That's all right. There it is. Perhaps it's because your views on sexuality are biblical, but your views on politics and race aren't biblical. Well, there's that one time. <laughs> so Sam's not exactly a critical race theory guy. I'm sure you'll agree that the only person whose followers should agree with 100% of the time is Jesus Christ. He's always trustworthy on sexuality, politics, and race. You know, Sam's pretty uh, pretty fearless on mm-hmm. Twitter. Mm-hmm. He just kind of calls a thing a thing. He does. So He does. So I think it's just important to try to understand what I was really hoping you would you could do here is just give us some insight into the black community about, you know, just different perspectives that there's, there's different takes even within the black community. You know, Sam has a different way of seeing race and politics than Jackie Hill Perry. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> you guys, you guys. Oh my goodness. Um, no, I, but I, I do. I think that that's, that that is, <laughs> it's true. Like, but that's, across the board, you know, like everyone is going to have a different, a different take. Now, I think within our community, there is this idea, the strong idea of tribalism. Yes. But one of the things that we've talked about before and have um, like recorded on videos, on other videos is the idea of breaking free from the tribalism and what happens when you do break free so what from is tribalism. tribalism. What is tribalism tri- is just the, the group thought process, the group mentality, staying within that. And so if, if you're, you're not... Black, you should think this way. You should think this way. About race and politics. Mm-hmm. And if you don't... Then you're kind of shunned be, or out of the tribe. Your- yes. And, it can, and I mean, but not everyone thinks that way. Right. Not everyone subscribes to, to the tribal mindset. Not everyone... Um, you know, participates in that has been raised like that. But that's a critical but, feature of critical theory. Mm-hmm. Tribalism is kind of an adjunct to that. Well, I think critical theory builds its own form of tribalism. Okay. So if you're not thinking this way, then you are part of the oppressor category. You are, um, you know, not woke. You're blind to to the reality. So I think that it it itself by itself has its own tribal component. Okay. Yes. I, my goodness, I was not picking up on the cues today, people. I was just off in left field. I'm sorry. 
I apologize. We had that segment down in the rehearsal. All right. Okay. Oh. Are you ready to move on to the next topic? Um, Susanna says, I'm a white Christian woman and not a Trump supporter. So I do get flack as though supporting Trump equals being a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's hard too. When people, when people, when people's, I guess, religious affiliation gets um, mixed, mixed up with their, race. Guess, yeah, their race or politics and things like that like it's just hard like all black people should be democrats i don't think so you know but that doesn't mean that we should be republican either it, it just you know like where do you land and, and understanding too that you don't have to choose something based on your race nor should you really like you know what are the convictions um the moral convictions that scripture offers that's where you should you should find your allegiance you know uh Susanna's comment there about Trump, mm-hmm. YouTube flagged that. I had to manually approve it. Oh. It put it in the bin. Oh. It's, it was as an offensive comment. Well, there's that. You got a comment on Facebook. Nancy Adams says, Oh, Monique, welcome to Quarantine Brain. Girl, the struggle is real. It is right. so real. All right. There's a, there's a comment on Facebook. Facebook. Oh, Diane says, We're to look cute. We have matching denim jackets. Yeah, we. I had a wardrobe malfunction, so I had to put on a jacket. Y'all. Let's keep it real. Um, Rebecca, Rebecca Lynn. Hmm. Would she feel or say the same about evangelicals who support Trump and are not white? I'm just questioning whether her issue is with Trump supporters in general or just white Trump supporters and why classify that they're evangelicals because not all Trump supporters, whatever their race, are evangelical. And I'm honestly wondering. Girl, I'm honestly wondering, too. Don't play no games. Um, hi, Amanda Burke. So back to the question, Rebecca, Rebecca Lynn. Um, I think that her problem would be with anyone who does not lean toward her identity politics. So she can classify um, white evangelicals because she usually speaks at white evangelical conferences. I feel like she probably has a very large white evangelical following. Now, if she were to hear me, she would say that I am not woke, that I um, am in my pre-encounter phase, that I am not really black. There would be probably a whole lot of other things that could, you know, come in to play with a lot of this. So, yeah, I, I think that it probably lies more in line with identity politics, with critical theory, critical race theory, more so than the color of a person's skin. Because you can have woke white people, you know, and woke white people would affirm, you know, her stand politically about race and politics and things like that. Now, a lot of woke white people would not support her um, thought process on so- on sexuality. Well, so where does thing. that lead? Yeah, you? because a lot of woke people are pro-gay. Yeah. So they would disagree with her on that issue. I wonder if she calls them out. In the same way. I don't know. I also yeah. wonder, and I feel like um, among among Christians who hold to CRT, sex and all of that is very different as a sin than, you know, not being woke or race or oppression and all that. So, okay. you know, who knows? I don't know. Jackie Hill Perry, come on our show. Yeah, there it is. We would love to talk to you some more. Yes. Find out more about your views. Uh, all right, you ready? Topic number two. There we go. Number all right. two. Since we're on the topic of social justice anyways. Oh. Sort of. Uh, there is a deepening divide in our country, I think, about getting back to work. 
um, in the quarantine. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that you and I have been noticing two very different things on social media. We were talking yesterday at lunch. We were sitting there eating our food and, and talking about very different approaches happening in our social media feeds to respond to the economic challenges that we're having. Like what I'm seeing on, on my social media feed is a lot of people wanting to get back to work, reopen businesses, reopen small businesses, frustrated small business owners. The protests started yesterday here in California because the federal orders for all the quarantine issues ran out. But our governor still has us on a pretty strict quarantine. In fact, we have some video footage that was donated to the show um, from Sacramento yesterday. And uh, that's okay. We're going to just let that play in the background there. So this was up at the Capitol building. The police, the CHP was out in force and there was a lot of protesters out there. A lot of small business owners, a lot of people just wanting to reopen the their businesses. And these are just regular people. You know, they're not paid actors. They really want to have their businesses opened. And uh, it was mostly peaceful. There was a few little scuffles, but mostly peaceful. People just wanting to, to reopen their businesses. So that's the kind of point of view that I'm getting is all of these businesses see themselves as essential mm -hmm. because the income that they derive from their small businesses is essential to their family. And they want to open up their businesses and pay their employees so that their employees can provide for their families. That's the kind of the point of view that I'm getting. But tell us what you're seeing in your social media. Feed. I see a lot of stay home, don't spread, don't contaminate. What about your, you know, loved ones? Um, especially, well, one of the, the, the things that I think is a common thread, um, especially recently. That's is, enough with the video, Bob. You can stop it. Is the idea. Um, I was trying to read his sign. <laughs> oh, he said he's a black educated doctor. Oh, who supports an intelligent reopen. Yes. See, but, and that's it. It's like, what is an intelligent reopen? Like, I don't think we can just be willy nilly and yeah. everybody just go back all at once. Like, no, let's use our brains here. Um, but I, I was going for something. I was going for what it. Are you, what are you um, seeing in your social media feed? The idea that a stay lot home, of... Stay home, don't go back to work. Well, stay home, don't go back to work, but that it is the middle class and the rich who really want the poor to go back to work because that's that's the labor. That's They're, they're really wanting to go back um, or wanting people to reopen on the backs of the poor. So the poor who have, you know, very poor health and health conditions or no health insurance, low income, um, you know, all of these things factor into COVID-19 by itself. And now we want to open up and put these people at risk. How can we responsibly reopen and not do that on the backs of our poor neighbors? There was an article that you sent me in Politico that kind of summarized that point of view. Um, it, I thought the headline was quite startling. Admit it, you're willing to let people die to end the shutdown. So because small business people want to get us back to work, the the point of view here is that we want people to die. I mean, that seems so extreme, but it does. I think it seems extreme. Can you scroll down a little bit? There's a great quote I want to read. It, 
like it's true. Like if we're clear, we understand Keep going. that some people right will there, die. Right there. So the to my ear, he he was saying this is what they hear people saying. People that like the people I'm seeing in my social media feed. Yes, some people are going to die. Who who wouldn't if I keep in a full lockdown in place? I hope not too many or too fast. But but keeping the risk of the of death as low as possible imposes other costs that are too high. And my job is to balance competing goals. And he is talking about the governor of Colorado, who um, I believe it's the governor, not the mayor, right. the governor, um, who decided to allow his state to reopen partially or something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, he was interviewed and that's what he said. And I, I agree, like people are going to die. And so, yes, if we want to put it that bluntly, then we just have to put it that bluntly. It's not going to be nice. And I think that's the thing. I think a lot of people want it to sound like, oh, no, we don't. We have to at some point accept the the fact that this this illness is going to take lives. And no, we don't want it to take lives. We don't want it to to kill anyone. And yet people have died. So how can we be responsible with those who are alive and make sure that the people who are still here also have a way to provide for their families, have a way to, you know, work or have a way to eat, go to school, you know, or, you know, is it all about keeping everyone alive? But if we keep everyone alive at at the risk of the economy, at the risk of mortgages and things like that, what will we have left? So I think it is about being able to balance the competing need. Yeah, there certainly are competing needs. And I think that's the difficulty. It just really caught me off guard that people were framing it in such a way as like, well, if you want me to go back to work, you're basically telling me to die. It's like, that's so extreme. But that seems to be the kind of the social justice angle on this conversation. I agree with that. Uh, And you agree with that position or you agree that that's a fair characterization? I agree that that's a fair characterization. Okay. All right. The, and the, the, where I found this article, because I found it scrolling through Facebook, um, the person who posted, I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But I just, I understand their point of view. I understand their take on, you know, what they believe America should do. So it didn't really surprise me. I was like, of course you're going to see it like that. I don't, I don't know that I'm saying like, Oh, people need to die. I want people to die. Am I willing to take very calculated risks? Yes, at some point we do need to take very calculated risks because we need to eat. But everything's a risk. Everything. Driving on the freeway is a risk at 75 miles an hour. Yes. Going to the grocery store can be a risk. Nobody expected to be shot up, you know, when they went into the bank. Sorry, I don't even know why I thought about this. But that, like, the whole North Hollywood shooting, like, years and years ago. um, But, like, these are things that people don't think about. But they're calculated risks. Um, Oh, I I know why I was thinking about that. Because I read another article about how America will change after, you know, how America has changed after such um, big crises. And so after the Great Depression, after World War II, after... um, September 11th, but I lived in North Hollywood during that whole North Hollywood shootout back when I was like a teenager. And from that day, like from that reopening of the bank, banks then put that glass in front of the teller. Mm. 
there was no glass between you and the teller before then. So it's like we have to take risks and we'll learn and we'll grow from those risks. But if we don't take risks, then we'll never be able to move forward. And in, with this crisis, if we don't move forward, more people are going to die. Well, because the suicide rates are going to go up. People's mental health is suffering. I mean, there's, there's a lot of complicating factors. This is a really complicated situation. We're already looking at 25% unemployment rates nationally. Hopefully some of those people will go back to work. But not all of them are going to go back. There's going to be some things like the local business, the family-owned business, like a mile from us, it's a laser tag business. Um, I know it's owned by a Christian family. The The husband uh, plays the guitar at a local church on a worship band. Uh, they're just trying to feed their family, and they got a lot of teenagers working there. They're, they're shutting down completely because this has got, the quarantine has gone on so long they, there's no end in sight. The governor hasn't said when we can reopen safely, and they're an entertainment business, so they're going to be at the last phase. They can't keep paying their mortgage and paying their employees with no income coming in. These are not rich people. These are people just like our family, and now all of those people are out of work. And so it, it really is, like, shocking to me that people would say, well, you just want us to die. Well, would, you know, how about... Like, is there some middle position that we can arrive at so we well, can keep people's jobs and not have 40% unemployment? No, I agree with that. I also wonder how much of it is clickbait, you know, wanting people to to click on it because of the title. Um, and things like, um, what, like anti, um, anti-abortion, like you're either pro-life yeah. or you're- Pro-abortion. Pro-abortion. Pro-choice. Or pro-choice, you know, like, yeah. like those names and titles- that just kind of make you out to be the uber bad guy when it's, you but know. But that, that's just some things I've seen on social media. Yeah, though, like that, that. They're like, well, if you want people to go back to work, you're just for death. You just want yes, people to die. Yes. It's like, so the maybe same, I want people to work. The same person who posted this, and I'm just outing myself if they watch. And the same person who posted this posted um, posted a, another Facebook post. And it said, you can't claim to be pro-life if you want people to go back to work. And I was like, huh? Like, what about the dignity of work? Like, what about the biblical concept of the dignity of work? Yeah. What about the dignity, value, and worth that each person has? And, you know, the the desire to feed your family. That's actually you know? the topic of my live stream on Monday um, from my Facebook is, is work mm -hmm. and the importance of work. It and is. Theology of work. Let's go to some comments here. Um, Kimba's joining us. Hey, Kimba. She says, I think people can't buy food and pay for mortgages or rent. If they were going to make people stop working, then they should have stopped the mortgage companies and banks from taking payments and working. That's the thing is like people are saying, well, we're going to stop rent payments, but those landlords still have to pay their bills. Mm -hmm. You know, that can't go on forever. And well, here's the thing. Rent payments are suspended. There's a difference between being suspended and being stopped. Yeah. You know, like. Is that can, rent still going to be due? It's going to be due and it's going to be due. Like if they give you a three month um, suspension, which I think is what they did in California, a three month suspension where there's no evictions, things like that. And they can possibly carry that out further. But when the three months is up on day one of month four, you better have all your money. 
Because it's not That's gonna like, be a big check. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you can pay it back in incremental payments or no. Because that landlord has had to pay mm-hmm. that whole time. Those banks haven't suspended those. those yes, they the, have. Oh, they have? Yes. So they can't. They can't. Because that's Kimba's comment. Is, is Here anyway. I don't know if Kimba's here, but here. In California. Yes. They're not supposed to come after you. Like everybody's supposed to be on this three month. Okay. Halt. And you can approach your mortgage lender and say, hey, you know, COVID-19 has done this. So student loans, mortgages, rent, utilities, The you can't um, have your lights turned off or your gas turned off, your water, like all of that is supposed to be halted in this time. Having food is life, Susanna says. That's that's true. Um, okay. Oh, some more comments on Facebook. Okay, cool. said, yep, that's right, Mo. They did the same thing last time. All right. The last time when? Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I wasn't old enough that part. I don't know. Um, Let's see. Rebecca Lynn. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. I think we're talking about Jackie Hill Perry. Yes. It makes me sad to hear a sister in Christ feels this way. Galatians 3.28. I probably need to look that up. And perhaps she has had experiences that have validated those feelings, which is just as sad. 80,000 people died last winter from the flu. Okay, wait, I'll read that. Now in, we're changing topics. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think, Rebecca Lynn, I think that that's true. She probably has had experiences um, that have validated her stance or kind of a confirmation bias even. Like, oh, I, she kind of holds this belief and then something happens and it just continues to stir that belief or reaffirm that belief. But for a long time, black voices have been used. Like people are like, oh, you should say this or, oh, can you say that? Well, or tell, come, us about, come, tell, tell us about that because you had some really interesting examples of that. Can you help me with those examples? I promise you, I, y'all, my brain, it does not remember things all the time. I'm serious. We family here, We family here, y'all. Um, I don't know if I can remember because I never heard them before. There, there was like some examples you were telling me of how they would have black people say certain things or put forth certain ideas. Can you can you say this? You had some really good examples, yeah. and I was like, oh, I never, I've never heard that before. But even I think even recently with some of the things that we're doing with CRT, I've been approached to you know like. Oh, we can do this if, you know, maybe you come in and talk about that. Yeah. You know, our voice isn't meant to always be the explainer voice. Our voice isn't meant to always help push forward someone else's agenda. It we want to be acknowledged and appreciated because we are people with dignity, value and worth. Yeah. But what I've seen and I, I will try very hard, I'm sorry, to think about the examples that um that I was that I brought up um the other day. But I, I do believe that there has been in our country a sense of, you know, say this, don't say that um, kind of kind of thing. So there's some sensitivity there. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if there's any more Now, comments. wait, I want to go back to Rebecca Lynn's second right. comment. She said 80,000 people have um, died last winter from the flu per the CDC. I think Americans just aren't used to seeing or hearing about deaths because 1% or even close to 2% mortality rate is extremely low compared to other diseases. A greater danger is a country facing economic collapse. I agree. All right. Our friend Amanda says people have to be careful about putting payments off because they still have to owe them on the back end. Yes. She's our this is uh, real. financial planner. 
uh, in the house. When this is over, I think they will, we will see a lot of foreclosures. That's what I'm wondering about. Yes. Is evictions and foreclosures. Yes. Oh, I think homelessness is going to go up way up and it's going to look different. So a lot of people right now are all big on this homeless thing. Um, and I've worked in homelessness for a very long time. Um, but what you see a lot of is what we call chronically homeless. So the person pushing the cart, the person on drugs, sleeping under the bus bench, whatever, those are the chronically homeless. What you see less of, but is still a, a big problem, are the working poor, the people who look like me, they get up and go to work every day, but they're sleeping in their car or they're couch surfing, going from house to house, sleeping with friends and things like that. I think that number is going to skyrocket. I think that um, because people have lost their jobs because, you know, they did take that three month wait on the rent because they couldn't pay and now rent is due and now they're evicted you're going to see a big shift in in all of this and especially in homelessness. Food pantries are essential right now, but so is um, like organizations like the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, case managers, making sure that people are getting into shelters. But shelters are full, especially yeah. in Los Angeles. You know, we only have so many shelter beds a night and they're literally counted per night. And so if those shelter beds are full, where are people supposed to go? Yeah. Good. You'll see a lot of doubling up in households of, you know, multiple families. And we see this now, multiple families living in a single dwelling home. So those are some things for pastors to be thinking about. And I think we need to see more coalitions of pastors, more collaborating in communities among churches for the common good of what we can do there. Yeah. Um, a little bit more there. Yeah. And big government stepping in to save the day. Yeah. Tears. Yes. That's the only thing to say is tears. Yeah. Yes. It's going to increase exponentially. Amanda says, yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. So um, let's go back to YouTube comments. Uh, Kimba says the time she was talking about before was the uh, 2008 downturn. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was all right. You ready to go on to the next topic? Yes. All right. So I'm about to take a dive in the ditch. Everyone's going to be upset with me in a few minutes. Uh, so there was an article in Relevant Magazine this week. Not really a magazine that I follow, but I did see a few posts on this in my social media feed this what week. What were you doing with the Relevant? Yeah. Thanks <laughs> to my friend Anastasia for posting this. She had some good comments. So here's the article. Uh, why are so many single women leaving the church? Very. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Very interesting article. All right. This is live television, people. Sorry. All right. So go back to it. All right. So we're going to scroll down and hit a few highlights because this is a very interesting uh, piece. Uh, the, the author talks about um, going to a, a panel discussion at a conference called Faith and Feminism, which featured a panel of women from different faith backgrounds talking about how they merged their religious beliefs with their feminist convictions. And then uh, one of the questioners at the uh, panel said, I'm so tired of fighting Christian church leaders to be treated equally, but I don't want to leave the church. So how do I, so what do I do? Um, how do I stay? This was the big question. And they, they say that, you know, single women 
uh, in in the UK, for example, are uh, the most the group most likely to leave Christianity in the U.S. The numbers tell a similar story, um, and they make this statement: there is a distinction between leaving the church and leaving Christianity. And then they go on to give some reasons for why these women are leaving. And I'm going to come back to that statement, but I really don't want to forget about that, of the difference between leaving church and leaving Christianity. But here's some of the reasons. We'll just scroll through these really quick about singlehood. Um, the church's emphasis on marriage as God's design for humanity. And women struggle to find a suitable spouse in the church. The gender ratio is not in their favor. So do they hold out for a Christian husband? Do they date outside the church? This is a big conundrum for single women. Okay, keep going. Um, Keep going. Another reason that was given is that it's very intimidating. Uh, Single women often don't feel accepted in their churches. Um, They say the Christian ideal for a woman is to be gentle, easygoing, and submissive. If a woman doesn't fit into that description, they feel even more out of place. Um, they're being told to tone it down, you know, strong personalities. All right, keep going. So there's another reasons they leave. And another reason they leave is sex problems. Um, where do I put my sexuality if I'm not having sex? Um, age is a major factor. As you get older, if you're a single woman, it feels harder to fit in as well. All right. Because so many of the messages about intimacy are aimed at married couples. Keep going. And single women are tired of feeling invisible in their local churches. So those were the reasons. Now I got all manner of issues with this. But let me hear your take first. Oh, I don't know that I disagree a lot with it. I know. Um, I, I don't. I know that you brought up that, and I don't want to um, steal your thunder. But Well, talk you about know, what you agree with specifically. You're a single woman. I am. I, I agree. I think that it's it's difficult to be single in church. You know, like you want to join a singles group and they put you with the college kids. You know, nothing wrong with college kids, but I am not a college student. You know, like my last my last group, um, I had someone ask me to help them write their CV. It was so cute. Um <laughs> But and there's nothing wrong with that. But if I'm looking to be a mentor, then let me be a mentor. That's not what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, so there was that. But then there's also this assumption. It feels like a lot of times that, you know, we don't put single people, especially single women or whatever, in married cells or married small groups. Well, why not? Like, I'm a human. You know, I'm not after your husband. He's taken. So why, you know, like, what is the the idea behind behind keeping single people together? And unfortunately, single people are usually in their early to mid-20s. Yeah. You know, historically, I feel like. Um, or the idea that a lot of the programming in church is for families or it's for kids, youth, college kids, whatever. They even have divorce groups. You know what I mean? But then when you hit over a certain age, there's really not a group for you to fit into. And it's like, well, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, I still love Jesus and I really want to, you know, be connected to my faith. But can we figure out how we can do that responsibly? Mm -hmm. So 
or in a way, I guess that that feels like I can also be connected to the larger body. Yeah. Because right now it's that I go to church on a Sunday, but unless I'm a youth, a child, uh, you feel like college student, you feel like there's really nobody ministering to you specifically. Well, there's really no place to even sit. Like, unless I want to go and hang out with the the unmarried, you know, who are all in their twenties. Uh huh. Which, again, nothing wrong with being in your 20s. I'm just not in that stage of life. Right. Or what? Because they don't put you traditionally in married small groups. So what is your thought about the pressure, the, the perceived pressure that they were talking about in the article um, that the church is for married people? That it there's, is. There's, oh, there's I, so, I kind of feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it could be that I'm looking at it through tainted eyes because I'm not married. But... Y'all, people be booed up in church and, you know, and, but that's booed. I don't know what that up. is. Like, you know, let me snuggle, <laughs> let me snuggle in church, you know, like, or like with the last, one of the last times we were at our church, like people be rubbed, you got a rub on their back and they small, small, the smaller they back and all that. I'm like, that's great, but not everybody get to snuggle up next to them biceps and triceps. You know what I mean? <laughs> like church is when the pastor gives a message he's generally not like oh this message today is only for the singles because they have special needs too it's about the intimacy in a marriage oh husbands you should love your wife like christ loves the church wives you should be submissive what the hell what sorry what about (laughs) what about this like who so so what like you know i'm just trying to figure out where do where do i fit in in this so again your issue is that nobody's messaging to you, ministering to you. Where do you, where it's do you not even, it's, I don't even know that it's about like, oh, me, 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 but there is a gap. Like, can we just acknowledge the gap? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, is, like, but I don't think you would feel that way or people, I don't think married people would, for those people who are like, Oh, so your issue is that nobody's talking to you or ministering to you. I think that married people would have a sense of issue if the pastor was only talking to single people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I don't want it to be like, oh, I am like, I have this grand issue. I just think that where there's a gap, people tend to notice it if they fit into the gap. Yeah. So this, what would you prefer? Would you prefer that a church have a singles ministry for people in their thirties and forties, or would you prefer that they put you in a small group with married couples? You as a single person, I want you to speak right now for all single people. No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. Thanks. But um, I, I just, think, but I think that, preference? I think that that depends on the person, okay. you know, like but sometimes small- it's cool. So, sometimes it's cool to sit and talk to other people sure. who are single too. I'm just asking talking your about preference. that. Like, I don't, I honestly, I think I could go either way. Oh, okay. I think there are some days when I get tired of being around married people. Like I just do. I'm like, like, here it is. Yeah. But you know, and that's real. Like, sorry, it just is. And we've had this conversation before too. Um, married people always got to talk about this or got to talk about that. Or, oh, you know what they did? Like, you know, it is, it just is what it is. Some days I would like to sit and be around my single people, but then some days it's cool. And like, there's so much I can still glean and learn from married sure. couples for my own future and things that they can glean from me. So do you think that there's, warrant for leaving the church over this issue? 
because that's really what the article is about is, you know, many single women are in a very high likelihood category to leave the church. This is a frequent um, reason why women leave the church. Do you think that that's warranted? I do. I, I feel like if if you are in a congregation now, now, now you have leaving, to you have leaving to, a local church. That's what I'm the, saying. Okay. You can't talk about leaving your faith, leaving Jesus. Nobody got time to leave Jesus. But if you're at a faith community where you feel completely out of place and like there's no room for you to slot in anywhere. Like when I was in South Africa, that's how I felt when I would go to church. And I left after two years. I was like, you know what? Or three years, actually. After three years, I was like, this isn't for me. Like, I can't roll with my 22 year old friend anymore. Like, it just it isn't for me. And even after conversations, it was like, well, we really feel like you fit best here. Like, this is where you know, because you guys are all in a similar stage of life. Well, my life is more than my singleness. So for you leaving a local church, but you would, you would go find another church. You wouldn't just leave institutional Christianity. Yeah. From there I went and I, I joined a house church and I, but I've, I've always, I've never been a part of a house church until then. And my heart has always been very soft for the house church. And so it was a completely different experience. And in that there were no, there was no children's program there. Everybody was just all up together. And I love that model. I love the fact that everybody was together. These married people over here, these single people, and we all came together and kind of did life. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good solution. I think I just take issue with the article because there was no thought in the article about staying in a church because what they teach is true. Like there was no reasons given of um, I'm leaving the faith because I no longer believe Jesus is the son of God or because I believe that the church is apostate and they haven't preserved the, the faith once for all given to the saints. I mean, None of the reasons given in the article were anything based on truth or anything objective. It was just, this is my subjective personal experience. And so I'm going to leave the local church, possibly even the institutional church as an institution. And I think that that is problematic for me because we, I see a, pattern of these kinds of conversations that constantly are framed in such a way that the thought that the the reasons that are put forward are completely subjective. They're based on people's feelings and their emotions. They're not based on truth. And that's troubling to me. I'm not sure that those are necessarily valid reasons for leaving the church as a whole. Now, if you want to change local churches, that makes a little more sense to me. But, but the thought here, like, I, I, I don't know where the line was, but there was a line in the article about like women just, they're sexual people. They want to have sex. The church sort of frowns upon sex. So they leave. Oh, I didn't, I didn't take that in the article to be like that. The, and I actually have that, like that part pulled up because I wanted to talk about that. It says, um, uh, 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 where is it? 
where do I put my sexuality? Go back down. Yeah. Where do I put my sexuality? If, if I'm not having sex, one woman asked me as a single woman, we aren't even allowed to talk about our sexuality. Another said Christian leaders assume that our sexuality is like a faucet that you only turn on when you're married. I think there's some truth to that. Like if you're in church and you having sex, then that's a whole different conversation. But if you are trying to remain chaste and you're an older Christian woman, why is it that we can't even say the word sex in church? Why is there no, like, that can only be something that is talked about among married people. Like, I don't know, but the last time I checked, I was still human. But we have this this way of being in church where it's like, ooh, don't say that, or don't say that in mixed company. What, you don't think my brother in church also is human? Like, I'm not sure when we... And I'm not saying I'm not talking about having risque conversations, but at what point did we become so mute on the idea of sex that we don't talk about it at all? And by not talking about it at all, we set our kids up for failure even or we set the person, the adult next to us up for failure because no one is wanting to talk about their struggles. So now I'm struggling alone. And you know what? I oops, I w- I'm going to go and have sex. Well, that's a hundred decisions. That's not a, a, it is a hundred decisions. A, oops, come on it, now. It, it's a hundred decisions, but it also starts with the idea that people struggle and we don't talk about it. All right. Let's go to the And I mean, I could be comments. completely off base here. Well, let's go to I the just YouTube. think that there's a lot that the church doesn't talk about. And sex is one of those things. All right. Susanna says, I can totally relate. I became a single mom when my son was only two and a half years old. So I felt out of place. All activities are divided by marital status or age. I go now to small churches where all activities are together. Some evangelical churches even seem to teach that marriage is all that as though we don't exist. You made a comment the other, like a couple months ago, probably that, and I was talking about my singleness and you were like, it's abnormal. Yes. Being single is abnormal. Now, where, where do you find that biblically? Like, I don't know that, I don't well, know that. Because the man and the woman were created in the garden. Yes. And they were created to multiply and fill the earth. Yes. To co-rule and reign but, together. Okay, but if you feel that that's abnormal, do you not think that people don't pick up that vibe? Yeah, I think that makes sense. But then why not talk about it? You literally, people literally think that people who are single are abnormal. Like, why aren't we talking about this? Well, why I don't are know we talking about normal's the right word, but it's unnatural. It's an unnatural way of being. Why are we not talking about it? Why is the church so silent on the idea that people that are supposed to do things that are natural are doing something unnatural and yet still human? We've taken a position as a church, as a people, and pe- we're, we're failing. I'm sorry, but we're failing other Christians. I think that... I, I think that the the message about it being unnatural is sort of implied. It's sort of maybe what you're picking up on with all of the family centric messages and activities. So it's it's sort of their kind of backhanded way of saying this is what's natural. And I and but I think that but, it, but if you're saying that it's unnatural, what are you then saying about God's plan for my life? No, I. I you didn't let me finish. Go ahead. Sorry. She does this to me all the time. <laughs> so I think that there's, there's this, there's a way of saying it generally that men and women are created for each other. Mm-hmm. But then for us as individuals, you know, I think that's the, the blessing 
of the Great Commission mm-hmm. and Jesus calling us as individuals into um, the women and men can partner together to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that becomes our primary identity, our identity in the Great Commission to bring the gospel everywhere we go. And that that is even more fundamental than my role as a wife and a mother, because my role as a, as a mother in raising my children is somewhat of a temporary station. I mean, yes, technically I'm always my children's mother, but I'm, what are you doing? Uh, Sorry, I had to, I don't know. I don't don't know what happened. I had to scratch my leg. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. But, (laughs) oops. Oopsies. But but the, my role as a mother, at some point I stopped raising my children. You know, then I'm only in their life mostly as. I can't feel it. Go ahead. Keep going. I think I'm done. No, you're not. Like, it's so, sorry, I cry when I get frustrated. It's so easy for people who are married to be like, oh, da-da-da-da-da, it's unnatural. Well, if it's unnatural, then offer a remedy. But don't say it's unnatural and then give a complaint. It's unnatural and they shouldn't complain because they're leaving for an untruth. What, no, I, think, what, I think your concerns are... What are you are... doing? What is, what is the church doing no, to I think offer you're... something helpful and holistic to people who are single? I think you're raising really important and valuable questions. And I don't mean to diminish that. I think that the, the unnatural state is part of what makes it so hard. And I think that it speaks to the difficulty. And I think it also speaks to the need and the necessity for more conversation around this issue. I think that, yes, it does speak to the need and necessity for more conversation around this issue, but it also speaks to the need for married people to look around for those who are single, be more compassionate. Sure. Like, instead of maybe saying it's, unnatural inquire of the person who is single. How do you feel about this? Like what's going on for me? Because not a lot of people want it. Some people don't want to be married and that's okay. Sure. Some people do. And, and then we go and we find that there's no place for us. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot. And I I feel like I could go on, but it just, it doesn't, you've been married a long time. Yeah. You have no idea what it's like. And I love you. And, you know, it's it's not, you know, a slam against you, but you really have no idea how to to really speak into this space or the pain that that can be brought up by it. And this is completely different than, you know, what we had planned to talk about. I just think that not you, but maybe people out, you know, who watch us need to also understand, like, there's a a a sensitive spot in church for people who, not just single people, people who can't have babies. You know, like I had a friend who would go to church um, back in South Africa and she couldn't have kids. And every, like once a month, they always did the baby dedications. And it was so hard for her to have to sit there and endure the baby dedications. You know, but then people who were mothers or people who didn't want kids or people who weren't in that season of life had no way to 
to empathize with her, to really un- like sympathize or really understand. Sure. And so there's there's just sensitive places in church. And when we when we come with, you know, our thoughts about something, but have no real idea because we aren't in that phase, it can be hurtful. And so we have to look around. How can we best love our neighbor in looking around and saying, you know what, I, this girl always, or this guy always comes to church and he's single. Maybe his wife work on Sundays, who knows? You know, but inquire, become inquisitive. I wonder what it's like for this girl or this, you know, this family who doesn't have kids to sit through the baby dedication, you know, once a month. Or, you know, what? Or I wonder what it's like for this elderly, or not even elderly, but this empty nest couple who is, you know, watching graduations every you know, every year, what's that like for people? But we don't do that. We kind of stick people in their categories and we say, this is where you belong. So when you're an empty nester, you'll go to this category. And then when you're this, you'll go to that category. And then when you're, you know, in your sixties, you'll go to the silver haired group or whatever. And I just think that if we maybe stop putting people in such groups and had more, um, genuine grouping like all of us is one maybe we would see other things maybe the maybe that that place of sensitivity would be filled because we are truly being one instead of being this fragmented body because we're fragmented even when we're in our churches anyway that's my thoughts and i'm done all right why don't you read the comments well, no, I can't because I'm all like emotional. <laughs> oh, there's some good comments there. Well, go ahead and read them because <laughs> I'm like still a mess. Okay. Uh, Cynthia says the church is not supposed to be a club. It's about worshiping God with other believers. Kimba says, uh, where is it that it says if you have a gift for being single, it's good because of a woman's marriage, she serves her husband. Is I think it's in 1 Corinthians but that's in the context of because of persecution, you know, that there's there's an advantage to being single um, because of hard times in the church. And so Paul makes some statements about like it's better to stay as you are if you're single. And that's going back to my point is I really think that our status before the Lord and the Great Commission supersedes our identity as wife and mother. But. That's probably beside the point. All right. Well, I, um, I agree that our that our status as Christians, our status as children of God supersedes all that. And even even with things like coronavirus or persecution, like would I rather have kids? Like I couldn't imagine having small kids right now or, you know, children at all right now, you know, or having to traverse life wondering how do I do this and protect my child and, you know, all of those things. And yet, it that doesn't mean that I also wouldn't like that. Sure. You know, I think it's a both and kind of thing. But I can understand what Paul is saying. Like in persecution of the church, it's better that you're not that you are single because then you don't have all these other people to worry about. Yeah. Well, and then you can be focused on the the um, ministry. And I do think yeah. that singleness is hard because, I mean, the there's a verse about celibacy being a gift, and um. I think that people don't understand what that that word is there is that it's it's the gift like a gift of the spirit it's something that God gives you 
So if you're in a single position and you don't have the gift of celibacy, I think that that puts people in a very hard position. Um, so. On Facebook. Yeah, I'm trying to read okay. through. All right, let's go to Facebook. Um, Amanda says, oh, let me start with Rebecca Lynn. Um, we had to leave our church of almost 15 years. All our friends go there. Our kids' friends. It's uncomfortable. Even We even moved to live button. closer Scroll down, to it, it but we had to honor God, not just our own comfort. Amanda said, that's a fair point, Monique. Sex is a very avoided topic. There needs to be more focused mentoring. Um, well, that's a point, too, that I was going to bring up is there is a verse about older women mentoring younger women. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that is needs to happen more in churches and having significant relationships of women mentoring women. Can we go back to the comments there, Bob? Yeah. Amanda said, definitely discipleship needs to be happening um, I maintain that churches are failing at discipleship. I would agree with that. I wonder if pastors not shepherding enough individually because they've become more like business owners of these large mega churches or just trying to compete with that. Well, I think that's where there's an advantage of like what I see in the Orthodox tradition where everybody has a spiritual father that stays with them um, through their life. And that person helps to shepherd them their life they know all their business and they help to advise them spiritually and practically and i think that's something that's deeply missing from protestant churches we don't have product we don't have proper shepherding shepherding Mm -hmm. and so i think that loneliness and alienation it can be a a very real problem because we don't have proper shepherding and shepherding practices and and uh, we have so much sexual violation um among between pastors and congregants too that that doesn't help. So there's then, a lot of complicated factors. I agree with that. But can, I, can you go back to Facebook? I think that um, I do think that if, you know, more like the Orthodox tradition, there was a spiritual father, someone to walk that out with you. That could be more helpful and seen as um, like a provision. Yeah. Um, OK. Amanda says, let me call you this week. Love you. I want to offer you some words of encouragement. Um, she said, I've been a single mom in my late 20s. I understand what you're trying to say. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Could girl call me. Um, the experience could be something God is using to grow you to minister to others in similar situations in the future. I completely agree with that and think that that is more, you know, definitely possible, more than possible. Um, and I think that you know, being able to minister to people from that place would be super helpful because we aren't talking about it. Like, I just, I think that that's what grieves me the most is that it's a silent topic a lot of times. Um, You know, all of this, like this relational relationship issue is a very silent topic um, for singles. And so, yeah, Um, Susanna says, oh, I missed a whole bunch. Yeah, they're just talking um, about First Corinthians. Okay. Uh, if a church isn't emotionally safe or spiritually, a person should leave, but not leave God. Yeah, and I think that one of the points I wanted to bring out, since I'm just completely burying myself already in the segment. Well, um, we, I think we both I, are kind of, kind of just I out think, there <laughs> right now. I, I, I have deep concerns among Protestant practices of leaving institutional Christianity and 
trying to say like, well, I can just have a personal relationship with God apart from the church. I, I have deep problems with that because um, the church is the bride of Christ and we should be connected to the bride if we want to be connected to Jesus. And I know it's a very unpopular view among American Protestants, but I do think that it is important to find our way um, with a local church and not leave institutional Christianity. Um, I think that is deeply problematic. And I do see some trends among those lines of de-churching and that sort of thing. Um, Cynthia says, I can't figure out why anyone would say that being single is unnatural. We're born single. Yes, but I guess I just, I'm trying to make sense of Genesis 2, that that is just such a foundational part of who we are, that we are created man and woman to multiply and fill the earth, you know, and we need, we need each other. Mm -hmm. And I think we need each other for the Great Commission, too. And so what I mean by unnatural is that we were, we were designed a certain way. You know, even our anatomy is such that we are designed a certain way to interact with each other and to procreate. Now, that's not to say, that's not to devalue people who aren't married. It's just that that is a very important part of who we are. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I mean by unnatural. So maybe it's a very inartful way of saying it. I think that, that there is something very, um, like it, it is a, uh, you know, like the command that, that God gave the man and the woman, you know, go be fruitful, um, multiply. And which is a pre-fall commandment. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that childbearing is a result of the fall. It's more complicated as a result of the fall, yeah. more painful. But it is part of our essential human person is to procreate. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. And I think that that is maybe part of the reason why it is such a, a hard situation when, you know, complicated by the fact of church, American evangelical church culture. I don't know. No, I don't know either. Um, but I do agree that like we do have that command before the fall, like, you know, go this was part of our job in the earth. <laughs> like this yeah. is what you need to do. You need to work the land and you know, you'll have to make it over da 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 and you know, be fruitful and multiply. Um I yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that. I just um I don't know that I would call it unnatural, but I, I do think that it goes against design. I don't know what to call it that it's, it's just foundational to who we are. I, I don't know what, how well, to describe it. Yeah. I don't know. It's something to think about and ponder on. Yeah. All right. I think we've had enough. There's uh, just two more Facebook there. Oh, Cynthia, when I said the silver haired group, that's funny. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm, it's true. You go from group to group to group to group. All right. Jennifer says, I wish my mom would get involved in a church for that reason. What about when Paul talks about staying single? Yeah, we talked about that a few minutes ago, Jennifer. I'm pretty sure that those verses in context are talking about it's preferred to stay as you are um, because of the the pressure that the, the church was in 
under persecution that, you know, it was it was better to stay as they were. Yeah, and so. but I also think too, like there's you know, he also says, um, you know, like you know, I'm not gonna quote it specifically, but like if you're on fire then burn. Like if you're if you I mean if you're on fire then like marry. Like if you're burning with sexual desire then yeah. get married. But we didn't talk about the percentages of men in church. Versus the percentages of women in church. There's way more women in church than yeah. men. And so then do Christian women look outside of the church to find a man? Well, um, and that was Paul's admonition. It's better to stay single than to be married to a non-believer. That see, was, a, I, that I was another component with that. of his argument is if, if, if you're married to a non-believer, don't divorce them. Mm-hmm. If you're not married, it's better to stay single than to go marry a non-believer. Yeah, and I completely agree there's with that. Also that's a ministry, whole level of mess. Ministry considerations. You know, that for him being single was advantageous because he was basically a missionary. So there's a lot of factors that go into his theology of marriage. But clearly, a person's dignity isn't diminished if they're not married. But yet, it is also God's provision I don't you know, know that I agree with that. Like, no, in the eyes of God, their dignity isn't diminished. Right. But in the eyes of humans, it kind of is. But what you I'm know, saying like, is I, in his theology, it, it's clear to me that the person's dignity isn't diminished yeah. if they're single because he was single. Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been a missionary. I've been a single missionary, Yeah, you know, and you kind of get the look. Like, sure. you know, like, or, you know, the old, the older people. Well, but I'm differentiating you know, so, between yeah. what Paul's teaching was yeah. and how people act. Those yeah, are two different, two different things. things. So, all right. Are you ready to wrap it up? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, we have okay. had fun tonight, yes. people. Y'all have seen all a whole right. different side Be of sure it. to uh, check out our website, allthethingsshow.com, and uh, like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the show notes so you can get those. Hopefully I can send them soon. Uh, Our web uh, provider only allows me to send three a month. So I'm waiting for the renewal. There it is. Our podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to share the show. And thank you for joining us. As always. Monique's just going to keep writing. So I'll just sign off. Good night. Good night. <laughs>